welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. If you will join me in the scripture reading this morning, we are going to be reading from Philemon, and it is uh, referenced in the app that you have on your phones. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, my dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because your brother has refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you will consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we need this letter. We need to read it, not just once, but over and over again, because this short letter demonstrates the power of the gospel in the particulars of our 
relational divisions and conflicts and fractures. And there is a rich joy to be found in this letter because it drips with the goodness of kingdom life. This is it, my friends. This little book is the kingdom of God on display. This little book contains a vivid and vibrant picture of what the kingdom of God is all about. Reconciliation, forgiveness, and healing instead of retaliation, anger, and division. So I hope you have had the chance to read through the book of Philemon at least once in preparation for today because it is a powerful little book, especially in times of cultural division and broken relationships that seem to be going in so many directions. Philemon is a prophetic word to anyone dealing with fractures in their marriage or in their family or in a friendship or in the church. And I really wish we were in person for this one instead of only streaming. Our high-paid weather department may have botched this one because it seems like we could have met outside instead of streaming only. Pastor Rick Leary was our resident weatherman for so many years, and he had a perfect record. He never got one wrong. I guess that's not the case anymore. We made a mistake on this, but I wish we were together because this little book has so much to say to us about what it means to be a local church, what it means to be the body of Christ, and what it means to actually follow him and actually live out his teaching in real-life circumstances. Reconciliation in relationships is a central theme all throughout the Bible. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, dealing with God's reconciliation of us to him. He writes, God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. In a world full of division, in a world full of anger, in a world full of contempt for those who are different, in a world of fracture, and in a world where people and groups are so routinely at odds with each other. We can hardly find anything more desperately needed than the reconciling power of the gospel lived out in our real relationships. Last Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And once again, as a nation, we took some time to reflect upon the racial divide that has characterized our nation since its inception. The book of Philemon has something to say to the issue of racism and to the division it creates. Last Wednesday was the inauguration of a new president, and he is stepping into the leadership role of a severely divided country. The book of Philemon has something to say to this situation, and it has something to say to those of us as Christ followers who are seeking to be citizens of this divided nation. This month begins my 30th year as a pastor. Now, I know that you probably feel this way. That sounds old because it is old. 
There is simply nothing more profound or powerful needed in marriages from my perspective or needed in families from my perspective or needed in friendships from my perspective or needed in a local church and in the DNA of a local church from my perspective than the reconciling power of the gospel being lived out in these real and often messy relationships. And I cannot stress this enough. This little book of Philemon has something to say to people who are in a relationship right now where there's a break, where there's a fracture, where there's a division, where there's anger, or there's distance, or there's separation. So let's jump in. Reconciliation is the inclination of those who follow Jesus. Paul wrote this short letter to a man named Philemon because Philemon's slave, a guy named Onesimus, little sidebar, Onesimus means useful. You might notice, I'm not sure if it's verse 14 or 17, where Paul says he was once useless to you, but now he's useful to you and to me. He's playing off Onesimus' name. Philemon's slave Onesimus seems to have stolen money from Philemon at one point, and then he ran away, and sometime later, amazingly, Onesimus met the Apostle Paul, and Onesimus became a follower of Jesus, and he became an assistant to the Apostle Paul. And in sharing their stories together and hanging out together, Paul realized at some point that they have a mutual acquaintance named Philemon. Now, at the time, Paul was in prison in the city of Ephesus. When he wrote the book of Philemon, the letter to Philemon, this individual, he was in prison in Ephesus. And at that time, Onesimus was there with Paul, helping him and caring for him. But Paul decides it is best to send Onesimus back to Philemon so they can resolve this problem from the past and reconcile. That's a significant note for us to pause on. He says to Philemon, Paul says to Philemon in verse 12, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. And then in verse 17, he says, welcome him as you would welcome me. See, this was one of those skeletons in Onesimus's closet that could not go unaddressed. This couldn't just be buried so that everybody could move on. Sometimes people wonder, why do I have to deal with broken relationships from my past? Why can't I just go forward and forget about those things in the past? And the short answer to those questions is this, because you haven't just gone forward and forgotten about those broken relationships. There are things in your life and in your relationships today that have their roots in those broken relationships of the past, and so you have to move toward those broken relationships and deal with them. And this becomes even more the case for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, for those who profess loyalty to him. Verse 6, the Apostle Paul says to Philemon, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith 
may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. It's a powerful statement about the substantiality and significance of this thing we call Christian community. The word partnership in this verse is the Greek word koinonia. And it's a very tender concept in the way that Paul is using it. The actual meaning of the word is close mutual relations and involvement. It's a business term in the first century time Paul is using it, but he's applying it to the relationships within the faith. So it's contractual in a sense, business, but it's even more than that. It's tender, it's koinonia, it's hey, Philemon, you and I are in Christ. We have a partnership in the faith. We are partners in this faith, and that means we share, uh, that means something about the good things we share in Christ, and it means something about how we deal with relational fractures and difficulties and brokenness. We can't just walk away. We can't just pretend everything is okay when everything isn't okay. Paul is stressing to Philemon, there's a bond of unity between followers of Jesus, a bond of unity cultivated by the Spirit of God himself. And when that unity is broken, we must, as partners, pursue reconciliation. See, reconciliation is to be the inclination of those who follow Jesus Christ. Now, you know and I know this is hard. The pursuit of reconciliation is hard. It's messy. The process of reconciliation is not instant. It's not magical. It's often uh, one way instead of two way. It takes time. This really came home to me, this letter to Philemon, as I thought this week about a situation I'm facing with someone I would call a partner in the gospel, and we are fractured right now. I care about this person. I care about the relationship, and I've been hurt by some things in the relationship. And here's the authentic truth about it. I don't want to move toward reconciliation because cherishing the hurt is more enjoyable than doing the hard work of reconciliation. But we're partners in the faith. And there's something in that that needs to be compelling to move me toward reconciliation. Verse 8, Paul says this fascinating word to his friend Philemon. He says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Now, this is the kind of verse in the Bible that brings the truth, truth of the gospel right into the middle of real-life stuff. Paul says to his friend Philemon, I could be bold and I could actually order you to do what you ought to do. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I could command you, Philemon, as a Christian, to forgive Onesimus and welcome him back. Verse 16, and not just welcome him back like, yeah, fine, you can be here, but welcome him back, verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave. 
a dear brother. Another remarkable statement in this short little book. Here's what Paul is saying to his friend Philemon. I could remind you, Philemon, of the ethical implications of your faith in Jesus Christ and remind you that your faith actually has something to say in this broken relationship. I could remind you, Philemon, that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God and in partnership with Onesimus because he too is now a citizen of the kingdom. Therefore, you're obligated to live as citizens of the kingdom in this broken relationship. Your first responsibility then, Philemon, is to uphold the constitution of the kingdom of God in this broken relationship you have with Onesimus. So get rid of what anger, whatever anger you may have toward him. Get rid of whatever revenge plan you may be cooking up. Stop thinking about retaliation and payback. Stop clinging to your rights as a wealthy landowner because none of that has anything to do with what you are supposed to now do as a follower of Jesus Christ. Your allegiance to Jesus means your first priority is to do what he would want you to do. And what Jesus wants you to do, Philemon, is reconcile with Onesimus. So here's what Paul is doing. Paul is lovingly and gently turning the screws on Philemon in a way many of us, maybe most of us, need the screws turned now and then. And I imagine Paul may have had a bit of a smirk on his face as he writes to his friend, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, but I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. This is this koinonia thing again, this partnership thing again, this connectedness thing, this tenderness thing. I could tell you what to do as a Christian, but I come to you instead as a brother in Christ and as a partner in the faith. Relationship first. I speak to you as a brother in Christ. And I invite you to respond to Onesimus the way one who loves Jesus would respond. And again, I want to say, that's kingdom. That's family. That's real church getting worked out in the real life situation of a broken relationship. Paul wants Philemon to welcome Onesimus and embrace him as a brother in Christ, not because of duty, not because this is what I'm supposed to do, but because of this new ethic of love that is to be extended even to one who has hurt and harmed. See, what Paul wants is he wants the gospel so embedded in Philemon that Philemon chooses reconciliation with Onesimus. He wants reconciliation to flow naturally out of who Philemon is and is becoming as a follower of Jesus. This is kingdom. This is the gospel getting down into the particulars of life. So question, what is our inclination when relationships are fractured 
or broken? What's our inclination? What's our default move? Anger? Attack? Retaliation? Or maybe withdrawal? Isolation? I would suggest one of the signs that we have the Spirit of God in us and we're listening to Him and seeking to discern what He is doing is that we are inclined, however faintly, toward reconciliation in these fractured or broken relationships. This says nothing about how difficult the road may be or how arduous the work will be. But where the Spirit of God is present, reconciliation is the inclination. Moving toward, however clumsily, however slowly, and I just want to say one caveat here, for some of us who may be tuning into this and thinking of people right now with whom we have fractured, some of those people are dead and they're no longer here. No less, our move is toward reconciliation with them. A very brilliant scholar named N.T. Wright wrote this about this passage. And he's referring here, you'll, you'll get it, it'll be obvious to you, but he's referring here to this idea of Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and Philemon had the power to say, you know what, I free you, you're no longer a slave. Here's what Wright says. For Paul, much as he valued freedom, the mutual reconciliation of those who belonged to the Messiah mattered more than anything else. For Philemon to have responded angrily to Paul's letter by giving Onesimus his freedom, but declaring that he never wanted to set eyes on him again, would have been defeat for Paul. Reconciliation was what mattered. That is why Paul wrote this letter. Let's talk about how reconciliation subverts social ethics and shows or displays the kingdom. In this letter, Paul models the reconciling love of the gospel by bringing two people whose relationship is broken together again through Christ. See, this is the gospel all over this little letter without ever saying a word about the cross of Christ or the resurrection of Christ. This letter pulsates with the reconciling power of the gospel. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon, and Philemon was a wealthy landowner and a Roman citizen who lived in the smaller town of Colossae. And for whatever reason, as I mentioned earlier, Onesimus seems to have stolen from Philemon or otherwise wronged him, and then he ran away, most likely, he ran away to the nearest big city, which was Ephesus. And at the time, as I said, Paul was in prison in the city of Ephesus. And somehow Onesimus crossed paths with Paul. He became a Christian. He became an assistant to Paul and a friend of Paul. Now, in the first century, a runaway slave was in big trouble if they were ever caught. They would be severely punished for sure. They might even be executed. Bottom line was... The owner of this slave could do whatever he or she wanted to do because slaves were not held in high esteem. They were property to be used and abused by their owner. And just to make a point, I think an important point, it is hard to read about slavery in the Bible. It's so abhorrent to us today. It's like impossible to go, how did this go on? How is this 
being even talked about in Scripture. It might seem strange that somewhere in the Bible we don't just find a straightforward verse prohibiting slavery outright for all time. Because what we tend to find, not just here, but certainly here, are what seem like instructions to slaves and instructions to slave owners. And even at times, we seem to find accommodations to slavery. When trying to understand the Bible, then, it is important to resist imputing 21st century ideas and principles into it as if people all throughout history have thought the way we do. That's just simply not true. And when we impute current ideas into Scripture, we often miss the shocking upside-down ethics of the kingdom of God that are splattered and on display in the pages of the Bible. Philemon is a prime example of undercutting the social ethics of the time and of kingdom ethics being on brilliant display. So God, for reasons only he knows, seems to accommodate the development of the human race over time. Or say it this way, God works within the flawed arrangements and circumstances we humans create. And he upends those flawed arrangements and circumstances. He turns them on their head. He moves willing humanity toward his goodness and toward his shalom. But this is the thing that's often frustrating to us. He rarely does this instantaneously. This process takes time. Sometimes it takes centuries. So slavery, in some form, existed when this letter was written. But Paul subverts the typical social ethics, and he shows the kingdom when he says to Philemon in verses 15 and 16, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. And then this phrase, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. And then Paul says, he is dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, we might not think much about this. But hear this in the light of first century Roman protocols and social ethics, where hierarchy was standard. There were social distinctions in every direction and social pecking orders. And in that setting, the message of Philemon is a deep undercutting of the social ethics of that time and even of our time and Philemon shows God's kingdom in a situation where punishment was warranted and retaliation was the law. And so Paul flattens the field between Philemon, the slave owner, and Onesimus, the runaway slave, because they are both now in Christ. So the hierarchy no longer exists. The social difference no longer exists. Onesimus is no longer Philemon's runaway slave. Paul, Paul's words, he is your dear brother in the Lord. Colossians 3 verse 11, again, Philemon lived in Colossae. Onesimus was there at one point as well. 
Philemon was a leader in the Colossian church. Colossians 3, verse 11, is being lived out in this book of Philemon. What it says in Colossians 3 is, here in the kingdom, in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. See, Jesus wants to bring people together in unity under his leadership. People who have no business being together in unity. So their unity does not make sense according to the social ethics of the day. That is the power of God at work in spirit-driven reconciliation, bringing those who are apart at odds, separating, separated, divided together in and under Jesus Christ. So here's the picture. Paul's got one arm around his buddy Philemon. He's got another arm around the shoulder of Onesimus. And if it looks like a picture of the cross, so be it. That's what it is. And Paul is saying, hey, you two, the gospel brings you together. And when you come together as brothers in Christ, you show the world the power of the kingdom of God. You show the world the difference Jesus makes in the life of an individual, you Philemon, in the life of an individual, you Onesimus, and in the life of the church. Now, this is just unheard of kind of stuff. The church in Colossae, who would have gathered to hear this letter read to them, it would have blown their minds because they knew Philemon. He was a leader in their church. They probably knew Onesimus. They certainly had heard about this slave of Philemon who ran away, and immediately all of the rights and the protocols and the ethics of the day would have been in the forefront of their mind. And this letter is a supreme display of the new kingdom ethics that are to govern relationships within the family of God. See, this is not the way it works in society. This is upside down ethics. This is reconciliation between adversaries, unlike anything this young church had ever heard or seen. Put it this way. It's as though this letter is saying, Philemon, this is what God has done for you in Christ. Now go and do likewise for Onesimus. In other words, you have heard the message of reconciliation. Now go and be a messenger of reconciliation. Think about the typical way we respond to relational fractures. We withdraw. We pull away. We leave. Or we get lost in our anger. We retaliate in some way. We assert our rights and we pursue our revenge. But when the gospel grabs us the way it wants to grab us, withdrawal and anger and retaliation and grudges and holding on give way to reconciliation. So lastly, reconciliation takes us into the far country of grace. The far country, the way I'm using it, is a long way from home. 
meaning it's a long way from grace as a known, safe, and comfortable religious word. Reconciliation takes us into the far country of grace. The process and the pursuit of reconciliation takes us beyond the known and the safe and the manageable and the comfortable religious word called grace. And we venture out into the far country when we pursue reconciliation. And out in the far country, grace is wild. And it's unknown. And it's untamed. And it's unsafe. The hard work of reconciliation takes us into the far country where we're learning to live by grace in a way that is changing us. And changing those who are recipients of the grace we offer. See, when there is fracture and division and conflict and relational pain, the kingdom of God is poised to break out. Is it fascinating how when conflict comes, some of us hightail it as fast as we can. And yet, where there is fracture and division and conflict, the kingdom of God is poised to break out because one of the central themes of the kingdom is reconciliation. This is joy-filled good news. See, this is where we give to others what we have received from God. That's the basis of all this. What has God done for me in Christ? Answer everything. What has he forgiven? Answer everything. How deep does his grace go? Extremely deep, all the way down to the bones, into the joints, into the marrow. Nothing is unscathed by his grace. Everything is touched by it. And now in these fractures and in this brokenness, my job is to be a messenger of reconciliation. See, in the process of pursuing reconciliation, we find out if we really believe what we say and sing and pray, we believe. Reconciliation is hard work. You know that. It takes time. You know that. This isn't a button we push. It's obviously a process. It's usually a slow one. Facing the pain is part of the process. Turning toward it and facing it is part of the process. Moving toward the other person, however slightly, is part of the process. Forgiveness at some level has to be part of the process. Not all or nothing, but incremental forgiveness has to be part of the process. See, the unity of the church brings credibility to our witness in the world. So when we as Christian people are practicing unity, whether it's in our families or in friendships or church, we're showing the kingdom. So reconciliation matters. When I think of the Oak Hills culture, when I think of the people of God that uh, here at Oak Hills and what God is continuing to form in us and who we are becoming as a local church, I want us to be a church living in the far country of grace where we're way past the idea of grace as a nice religious word, where we are learning the way of extravagant grace. See, small 
and petty and narrow and uptight and restrictive and unforgiving and bitter Christians are a dime a dozen. But expansive, grace-filled Christians who are devoted to demonstrating the kingdom in shocking ways are rare and priceless. People who forgive those who offend or hurt them and let go of the pain. Husbands and wives choosing reconciliation instead of divorce. People from all walks of life and social status finding here at this local church partnership in the faith. This tenderness of koinonia. Loving each other like brothers and sisters. Staying in the conflicts and looking for the kingdom in the midst of those conflicts. The far country of grace where we as a faith community embody display, incarnate, manifest grace in such shocking and unheard of ways. The kingdom is on display and people take notice. See, what our culture needs is a vibrant and authentic example of a better culture. What our culture, what the world needs is a vibrant and authentic example of a better world. And I don't know if I can drive this home enough, but this is what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a culture that's better than the culture. Not superior to, but different than. A culture of those who live by kingdom values and ethics. A culture that lives in the far country of grace, where the only explanation for what is going on is God and who he is and what he is doing in and among us. Would you pray with me, please? And as we pray for a moment, I imagine, given the subject, that someone's name, face, some experience, probably at some point came, came to mind as we worked our way through this. Someone where there's a fracture. Maybe the beginning of a split. Maybe a recent experience where things were said and done that were hurtful. I just got to say, if I let myself do what I want to do, if I let myself do just what feels good to do, I will keep that person locked in the prison. I will keep them pinned down because it makes me feel better that they feel worse or makes me feel better that I have power over them in the form of they hurt me. So now I'll sit here and cherish that. That is just my flesh running rampant. There's no other word for it. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul 
saying to this guy Philemon, I want you to welcome this guy back as if you were welcoming me. And I don't want you to do it out of duty. I want you to do it because you, Philemon, are intimately aware of God's unfailing and unfathomable love. You're a recipient of it. And now you get the chance to model it. This is not for the faint of heart. This is when we really begin to realize, boy, this God thing is not a game. This is like the real thing. This is getting down into the messy stuff and pointing us to a different path. So we mentioned as we got into this that part of what we want to do is give applications, steps, things to do. They're in your app, and I'm going to pray through this in a moment, but this week it's real simple. Take a concrete step toward reconciliation in the context of a fractured, fractured relationship. Doesn't mean it's whole reconciliation or complete reconciliation. Doesn't mean it ever will be just means we recognize the inclination of the heart of the one who is in Christ and filled with the Spirit is toward reconciliation. So what would it look like to take a small step toward reconciliation in the context of a fractured relationship? Holy Spirit, we come to you as people who want to be more like you. We want the inclination of our hearts to reflect you. We want the anger, the retaliation, the certainty, the rage, the bitterness. We want it washed away that we might be people who recognize the goodness of your kingdom and of life in it and learn to love with a kind of love that cannot be described. We want to live in the far country of grace where it's beyond us. It's unknown. It's wild. And it rattles and shakes us out of smallness and pettiness. I pray for people in this church at Oak Hills, for relationships, for marriages, for friendships. May we be partners in this gospel. Koinonia, tenderness, togetherness, unity. and your power, by your power, that we might work through the difficulties and the fractures. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.